0: chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, we will be in verses 24 to 43. Matthew chapter 13, 24 to 33. Today we're going to be talking about the parable of the weeds. Uh, In in regular English we call it the parable of the weeds. Your translation may call it the parable of of the tares. That's the word used in the King James Version, but most of the uh, the more modern translations just call it the parable of the weeds. Now, I know that for those of us that live in a a modern society, it's very difficult for us to kind of put ourselves in the place of a first century Jew. You know, if you were living at the time that Jesus came, it's you know, it's a completely different culture and a completely different Mindset, but but for just a few minutes this morning, I want you to try, if possible, to to kind of put yourself in that place. You, you see, in that day and time, there is no church, right? You don't go to church; you go to the synagogue. That's that's where you go. You don't go on Sunday; you go on a on a Saturday. There is no there is no Bible. There's no New Testament. There's no Matthew, Mark, Luke, First Corinthians, Revelation. There's only the the Old Testament, right? And And you have been taught when you go to your when you go to Saturday school or Sabbath school uh, in that day, you have been taught since you were a little child that one day a Messiah is going to come. And he's going to come and establish his kingdom on this earth. And and scrolls have been opened, and men like Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel, and you've 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 read prophecies of this Savior, this Messiah that's gonna come and and he's just going to establish this kingdom of righteousness and, and virtue, and he's going to purge out all sin. He's going to purge out all ungodliness. He's going to purge out all unbelievers. Um, this is the expectation and the hope of every first century Jew. They believe the Messiah is coming, and the Romans are going to be overthrown, and Israel will be restored to its formal glory. That's what everybody believes. That's what everybody's waiting to, to happen. And then Jesus comes along, claiming to be this Messiah that's coming, and he makes statements like this. For example, Matthew 12, 28, he says, if, if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God is here. Now remember, they're expecting the kingdom of God to come as an earthly kingdom. Going, they're going to overthrow the Romans. Uh, this, I mean, It's going to restore Israel. It's all going to be about pomp and circumstance and glory and the show. And, and then Jesus says, the kingdom of God is, is here. Later on in Luke 17, he says this to the Pharisees. He's, they said, when's the kingdom of God coming? And he says, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that you can see with your eyes. They won't say, look, there it is, or, or over there. He says the kingdom of God is in, is in the midst of you. In other words, it's in you right now. Matthew 3, 2, he goes around saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is what? At hand, which means it's here. Now, here's the problem. And, and here's the thing too. Remember, they expect him to... Anybody that doesn't believe the kingdom in the kingdom of God, they'll be purged, right? They'll be cut off. They'll be cast away. But Jesus goes around... Instead of talking about what he would do to the unbelievers, he talks about what they're going to do to him, right? Instead of talking about how he's going to kill them, he starts talking about how they're going to kill him. So this is what's happening here for anyone that's a Jew. This makes no sense. This is not what they were expecting at all. They're expecting an earthly kingdom. And here comes Jesus and he's... It's not at all the way they expected it to be. Even after Jesus' resurrection, even after He's gone to the cross, raised Him from the dead, they still couldn't figure it out. You remember in the, in the book of Acts, chapter 1, again, this is after the resurrection. So it says, so when they had come together, they were asking Him, saying, Lord, is now the time You're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? See, they were still waiting on this earthly kingdom that, because that was their expectation from childhood that that was what was going to happen. Their expectations were completely different from what they were seeing. Now, here's the question. Why? Why were they so confused? Why why did they have such trouble understanding this kingdom? Well, behind this confusion lies what Jesus calls the mystery or the secrets of the kingdom of God. You remember in Luke 8.10, he said this, and he said, to you it has been given to know the mysteries or the secrets of the kingdom of God, right? We've talked about this several times. Here in this same chapter, Matthew 13, 34 to 35, it says, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. And watch this, I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. You see, one of the mysteries of the kingdom, one of the secrets of the kingdom that had been hidden in the Old Testament, that had been hidden from the foundation of the world, was that the kingdom will first come partly before it comes fully. Now, there are hints in the Old Testament, right? For example, in Isaiah 53, the, 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 uh, the suffering servant, right? So there's hints in the Old Testament that when the Messiah comes, it's not going to be the way you guys think it's going to be. So there's hints, but but for the most part, it is hidden in the Old Testament. Uh, it doesn't clearly separate the two comings of Christ. If you go to the, read the Old Testament, it talks about the great day of the Lord. You know, it, it sees a day of the Lord coming when, when God's going to come and He's going to establish His kingdom. And again, all sin, all unbelief all unbelievers, all of his enemies will be put out of the kingdom and he's going to establish this kingdom of righteousness and peace and joy. But what the Old Testament didn't make clear that this day of the Lord, this coming of the kingdom would happen in two parts. That first Jesus would come as a suffering Savior, as a suffering Messiah. He would die on a cross and atone for our sins and he would go back to heaven and send the Holy Spirit for a period of time. And then He's coming again, is He not? And when He comes a second time, that's when he'll, he'll, he'll consummate His final kingdom. That's when all unbelief and sin and unrighteousness will be put away. And there will be a kingdom of, of complete holiness and righteousness and peace and joy. But it happens in two parts. That was the mystery, or one of the mysteries of the kingdom. And that was hidden since the beginning of time. By the way, it's not the only mystery... You remember in John chapter 3, Jesus meets Nicodemus at night and he says to him, Nicodemus, I'm telling you, unless you're born again, you can't get into this kingdom. That They never mentioned that in the Old Testament, did they? That was a secret that had been hidden since the foundation of the world. So there's several of these things, but this is one of them that the kingdom will first come partially before it comes fully. Now, here in chapter 13 of Matthew... Jesus is revealing this mystery. This is exactly what He's doing with these parables. He's revealing the mystery of this interim kingdom or this partial kingdom or this temporary kingdom, however you want to to kind of frame that. So He's giving them, uh, I think in Matthew 13, He gives them seven parables explaining this kingdom of God and what it's going to look like here on earth. Before Jesus comes back. So this is very critical for us to understand that this is what he's doing. He's not explaining the kingdom the way it's going to be after his second coming. He's he's explaining what the kingdom of God is going to look like here on earth before he comes back. Now, we saw the first of these parables last week, did we not? That was the parable of the souls. You see, the disciples once again they they expected when messiah came and established his kingdom that all unbelievers would be cast into outer darkness they believed they would be destroyed and cut off that this kingdom would be only a kingdom of uh, again of, of believers but in the parable of the souls jesus said no that's that's not the way it's going to be right now you see in that first parable jesus says i'm establishing a kingdom here on earth but not everybody is going to be a believer not, not everybody is going to be real. Not everybody is going to bring forth true fruits of righteousness. Not in this kingdom. Now see, guys, they had never... It's very difficult for us to understand this, but they'd never heard anything like that before. That, this was completely foreign to their way of thinking. They had this idea of believers and unbelievers living together in the kingdom of God. That, that made no sense to them Whatsoever. So they just they had a lot of trouble understanding this. And again, in the modern world, it's, it's difficult to understand how just, I mean, how shocking a truth this would have been to, to those guys in that day. Because again, they had no concept of that kind of kingdom of God. Once again, they are expecting a kingdom of, of righteousness where unbelievers are judged, unbelievers are punished, unbelievers are, are put out, cast off, and destroyed. But the parable of the souls changed all that for them. Jesus said, no, it's not going to be that way at all for a while. That we're going to live together. You're going to co-mingle with unbelievers. So, so now, here they are, and they've just heard the parable of the souls. Now they realize, holy cow, we, there's a, going to be a kingdom here. It's not like at all like we thought it was going to be. There's actually going to be people in this kingdom who not only reject the word of God, they reject the Messiah himself. So you can imagine them thinking, well, I wonder what's going to happen to these people, right? I've been taught my whole life, unbelievers are, are going to be destroyed and cut off, but here's Jesus telling me that, hey, there will be unbelievers in this kingdom that I'm establishing right now. So in their mind, you can imagine them asking, well, I wonder what's going to happen to these rejectors, the ones that are rejecting the Word, rejecting uh, the Messiah. And so the Lord needs to explain to them with this next parable, what's going to happen to the rejecters? What's going to happen to those who reject His Word and reject Him, who, who don't believe? And so that is exactly what He's doing with the parable of the weeds. Okay, That's what the parable of the weeds is, is all about. So let's turn and let's read first in verses 24 to 26. Matthew 13, 24 to 26. It says this, He put another parable before them, saying... The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a man. Now remember what he's explaining, guys. This is so important. He's not talking about the final kingdom when Jesus comes back. There's going to be a final judgment. Unbelievers will be sent to hell, and all the believers will enter into his rest forever. There will be a complete separation. He's talking about now. This kingdom of heaven that he's establishing before that, this, this interim time that we live in right now, he's going to explain to us what this looks like. He says, The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. And so when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared also. Now, the weed. That Jesus is referring to here is a plant that, that grew in very common in Palestine, and it was referred to, its name is called darnel. That's, that's it's, it's, it's a weed, it's just a, a grassy weed that grows in Palestine. And it looks so much like wheat that when they're first growing together, you can't even tell them apart. In fact, in some regions, even today, darnel is referred to as false wheat. Because it looks exactly like wheat. This is what they look like when they finally come to fruition. The only way that you can tell them apart is when the head begins to appear with the grain seeds. Then you can say, oh, that's wheat, because the darnel looks completely different. So again, when they grow together, they, they look exactly alike. I mean, it is very, very difficult. Um, except with a trained eye to be able to tell them apart, but when the grain head becomes to come out, then you can say, "Oh, that's wheat and that's darnel." So in the parable, when this head begins to appear, you know all of a sudden that the 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 workers that's how they recognize. Oh, that's not that's not wheat. There's some weeds in the field. Now they're able to to recognize it. So look at verse twenty-seven. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, "Master." Did you not sow good seed in your field? Then how does it have all these weeds? Now again, they are, they're shocked by what they see. Now keep this in mind. They wouldn't have been shocked if they found just a few weeds. Because here and there... That's to be expected, right? This is a this is a grassy kind of weed. the The seeds blow just like uh, uh think about like bahia grass or something around here. They they it puts a head on it and then the seeds drop and blow with the wind. You're going to expect to find some of that here and there. That's not what shocked them. What shocked them was that there was so much of it that it was everywhere. That they knew something's not right. That that this is not normal. That there would be this much weed scattered. All throughout. So that's why they come and question him. They wouldn't have questioned him if they've just found a, a little bit. And so they realize something is wrong. And so they ask him, Well, maybe, maybe the seed was bad. Maybe that seed that you that you took and scattered, maybe it had Darnell seeds mixed in with the wheat seeds. Maybe that I mean, because that's exactly what it looked like. They were so closely mingled. There was so much weeds in this field. Look at verse 28. But he said to them, No. An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them up? Okay? So what he, the, the master of the house realizes immediately, No, the seed I put out was good. Uh, this is the same seed I've been collecting year after year. It's good seed. So this is not bad seeds. An enemy has snuck in at night and sowed Darnell seed or sowed weeds into the field. So the, the servants say, Would well, you want us to go in now that we can tell them apart? Now that the head of grain has begun to appear, do you want me to go, us to go in and one by one begin to rip out the weeds and, and remove them? Verse 29 and 30. But he said, no, no, don't do that. Because when you're gathering the weeds, you, will take up, you, you may root up the wheat right along with them. So let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers... Gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, and gather the wheat into my barn. Now, if you read on down, he he goes on, he tells another couple of parables, and then he leaves the crowds, goes back into the house with his disciples. Verse 36. Then he left the crowds, and he went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Now, I want you to notice something. Notice the question that they ask. They are the ones that name the parable. Jesus never names parables, right? I don't know if you notice that. He says, let me tell you the parable of the souls, or let me tell you the parable of the weeds. He never does that. He just tells them a parable. We are the ones that name it. We call it the parable of the souls, or we call it the parable of the barren fig tree, or or whatever the case may be. In this case, the, the disciples themselves name the parable. Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. You see they understand that that's that's the whole point of this parable. It's all about the weeds. Right? It's all about what's going to happen to the weeds and when it's going to happen to the weeds. That's what they saw as important and that's what they attached importance to and they were they were right to do so. So they've asked him to interpret it. So Jesus does exactly that. Verse 37. And he answered, "The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. Now, the Son of Man, of course, is, is Jesus Christ. This is a term that He uses for Himself uh, actually more than any other. I'll give you a couple of examples. Matthew 12, 40. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Matthew twelve eight: For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So this is a title that Jesus uses for himself. And so he is the sower. Verses 38 through 39, keep going. He says, The field is the world. Now let's stop right there. Sometimes, and, and one of the things I'm doing when I prepare these lessons is I go out, and uh, thank goodness for the internet, because it's like the greatest thing ever. It's like having the whole world's libraries sitting right in front of you. So I go and I read all these commentaries about what people say. And one of the things you'll find about this parable is you'll find commentaries that say the field is the church. Okay? The field is the church. They'll say that this parable is talking about how in the church we have good seed and bad seed, weeds. We have wheat and we have tares growing together in the church. Now, guys, that is a very common misinterpretation. But that is not what Jesus said at all, is it? You see, the field is not the church. The field is what? The world. Jesus knows the word for church, does he not? He says, I will build my church. And the, he knows the, the word for church. He didn't use it. He didn't say the field is the church. He says the field is the is the world. Now, let me tell you two reasons why I think this is very important. First, Jesus is saying that he is sowing children of the kingdom throughout the world. Now that makes sense, right? I don't have any problems with that. I I understand that. I get that. But if you make the field into the church, that ends up causing us a lot of problems. Let me give you one for example. You remember when the servant says, Lord, do you want us to go out and pull out the weeds? Get rid of the weeds out of the field, right? If you make that the church, they would be saying, can we go pull the, the weeds or the, or the false wheat out of the church? And Jesus says, what? No, don't do that. Don't, don't pull them out, right? But now here's the problem with that. If, if the field is really the church, then we would have no right to practice church discipline. We would have no right to expose heresy in the church. We would have no right to deal with people's sin in the church, and that goes exactly opposite against what the Apostle Paul taught us. You remember in 1 Corinthians, when we were going uh, through this a few months ago, 1 Corinthians 5, 2, they've got a man in the church that is sleeping either with his mother or it says his father's wife, so it's probably his stepmother, and they're just letting it go on. And, And Paul writes to them and says, What's wrong with you? Take that guy and get him out of there removing from among you. Everybody with me? That's church discipline. If you got somebody and you go to them with one person and they won't repent, and you go to them with two or more and they won't repent, he says take them before the church. And if they still won't repent, get rid of them. Move them. Get them out of the body. When they're in grave sin like this. So we have a right to practice church discipline, but if if the field is the world, then how does that... Everybody with me? That makes no sense. Those two don't do don't go together. So if you interpret the field to be the church, you've got some problems. I don't think Jesus left us that option. He said the field is the world, so let's just leave it that way. That's what it is. Here's the second reason I think this is important. If you say the field is the church, and you begin to look at this parable this way, then the parable becomes a picture of the world in the church, and that's what we'll focus on. Does that make sense to everybody? If you think the field is the church, and then we'll focus on the church and the wheat and the tares and how do we tell them apart and all this kind of stuff, that's what we tend to focus on. But when you when you believe that the field is the world, then you have believing people, subjects of the Lord Jesus Christ, who have been planted in the world. The parable then becomes a picture not of the world in the church, but the church in the world. That is a completely different picture, and I think it's the right picture. For example, uh, John seventeen eighteen, Jesus is praying with the disciples at the Last Supper right before He goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane, and He says to this, "...as you sent Me into the world, I send them..." what? "...into the world." See, the church, He's saying, I've planted these good seeds, these sons and daughters of the kingdom, I've put them out in the world. So this parable is not a picture of the world in the church... It is what Jesus said it is. It's a parable of the church out in the world. C.S. Lewis, I was thinking about this quote. He's one of my favorite authors. He said this, Enemy-occupied territory, that is what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed, you might say landed in disguise, and is calling us all to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. When you go to church you're really listening into the secret wireless that is why the enemy is so anxious to prevent us from going. He's saying that we're in this world and there's a it's almost like we're here to sabotage the enemy. Right? He's got a soldier over there. I'm going to turn him, bring him to our side. He's got a soldier over there. I'm going to turn him, bring him. Everybody with me? That we're in the world. We're to be influencing the world. That's what he's saying here. Look at verse 38. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. Now, Let me tell you why I think this is important. If you are a believer today, where you are right this second, where you are at this point in your life is no accident. Okay? You have been placed here in Waukala County exactly where God wants you. God, the Son of Man is sowing believers in the world, and He's sowing them where He wants He is the sovereign God of the universe. He is sowing them exactly where He wants them to be. You've placed, been placed within the world's system according to His plan. We are in the world, but we are not what? Of the world, right? We're in it, but we, this is, we're, kind of on a, we're on a mission, right? Look at verse uh, 38 through 39. He goes on to say, The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. Now let's be very clear about what this parable teaches. In this parable, there are only two kinds of people. There's no plan C. There's no option C. There are two types of people. You are either a son or daughter of the kingdom, or you a child of the enemy. You are a good seed, you are wheat, or you are a weed. There is no other option that, that we have for one another. So until Jesus returns, this is what the kingdom is going to look like. There's going to be a Judas and a Peter living side by side on the same block. Right? Right? We all exist together, believers and unbelievers. We breathe the same air. We shop at the same grocery stores. We go to the same schools. We, we shop at the same department stores. We, we work at the same jobs. We visit the same doctors. That's, we're all together. We're all living together in this kingdom until He returns. We are all commingled until the end. And then He talks about this, verse 39. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. I want to read a quote, and you tell me who said this. May his days be few, may another take his office, may his children be fatherless and his wife a widow, may the creditor seize all he has, may stranger plunder the fruits of his toil. That's pretty rough, isn't it? Anybody got any idea who said that? Anybody? That's... That's King David. That's King David. A man as close to God's heart as there could be. By the way, I tone that down a little bit. If you go read it's actually worse than that. It says, may his children be beggars in the street. I mean, he is just offloading on these people. Now, if we all understand, see, as Christians like David, there are times when the sin and the grief and the rebellion around us just seems too much, doesn't it? Sometimes you just watch the news and you see what one person does to another, and you just want to be like David and say, God, it, when are you coming back? Just, just destroy them all. Just, just deal with this. It, it's time to deal with it. See, even his disciples felt this. In Luke 9, it said this, 52 to 54, Jesus sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people didn't receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. In other words, he was going to come in. He was going to come in, maybe get a meal, maybe stay for a night. But he was he was on his way to Jerusalem, and they wanted him to stay. And they said, "Well, if you ain't here to teach, if you're not here to do miracles, we don't we don't want anything to do with you. If you're just passing through." And so his disciples James and John saw it, and they said, "Lord, you want us to call down fire and destroy them right now, right?" You you want us to just wipe them out? I mean, that was their, you know, people didn't quite fit. They didn't quite honor Jesus, and they didn't glorify Jesus. The disciples said, let's just just wipe them out. By the way, in Revelation, listen to this. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne, and they cried out with a a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long? How long are you going to wait before you take vengeance when you avenge our blood on those who... Everybody with me? Listen, if the souls under the altar are saying, Lord, how long? It is absolute, it's it's natural for us to say from time to time, what are you waiting on? Let's go deal with these guys right now. Let's deal with this. But see, the answer in this parable is not yet. Not yet. Not until... The end of the age. Because if you go around right now trying to yank out the darnell and judge the darnell, you're liable to yank out the wheat with it also. In other words, if you go around trying to judge the world, you're going to end up judging some real Christians. You see, just go back and look at history. By the way, there's history that shows an age where, where the church tried to do this. Go back to the Inquisition in the, middle of, in the Middle Ages where they decided they're going to purge out all the unbelievers. And so they go around and they end up killing a lot of true Christians but just because those Christians didn't line up with some doctrinal belief that, that the church at that time had. So they end up killing a lot of real believers. It turns out, guys, unless you had not figured this out, we're not very good at judging. We're not very good at all because we only see what? the outside. It's God that sees the heart. So so he's saying, no, that's not for you to do right now. Don't do that. You'll cause too much trouble. You'll you'll hurt believers. Don't do that. You stay together. You live together. You co-mingle together in this kingdom until the age. And I'll send the angels and they'll take care of the judging. So we're not to do that. It's not our job to separate the wheat from the weeds. And by the way, Beyond that, not only is it not our job, it really shouldn't even disturb us that we are commingled. Do you understand? The wheat cannot be changed into Darnell. I am a believer. I am sealed with the Holy Spirit of God, which is a guarantee of my inheritance that's to come. I cannot be changed into Darnell. I am wheat. I am a good son of the kingdom. They, I don't care what they do. They cannot change that about me, right? So that, it shouldn't really bother me But by the way, the same is not true for Darnell because everybody in here at one time or another was false wheat. Everybody in here at one time or another was a weed and God changed you into wheat. Yes or no? See, we should give others that opportunity as well. So if we're living beside that neighbor who doesn't fit what we think somebody should be, who doesn't talk like we talk or act like we act or think like we think, instead of us saying, God, destroy them, just you need to just cut them off, we need to try to influence them and give God an opportunity to convert them into wheat. Now listen, there is a judgment coming. Look at verse, verses 40 to 42. He says, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace and in that place there will be weeping and there will be gnashing of teeth. This, of course, is a picture of final judgment. This is the lake of fire out of Revelation 19. This is the the unquenchable fire of Mark 9. This is the everlasting fire of Matthew 25. This is the consuming fire unending, everlasting, burning fire of hell. Matthew 13, 43, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, as we always do, we, try to, we want to apply this parable to us today. So what is the application of this parable for you and I today? Well, that depends, of course, on are you a weed or are you good seed. That depends on are you a son of the kingdom or are you a son of the enemy? Second Corinthians thirteen five, one of my favorite scriptures says this, examine yourselves to see whether or not you are in the faith. Test yourself or do you not realize this about yourself that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I've said it over and over and over in this class over the years. As a Christian, you should be constantly examining yourself. You should be constantly testing yourself. Am I in the faith? I tell people all the time, you're not a Christian because you walked down an aisle 41 years ago. You're a Christian because God is producing persevering fruit in you today, right now, this very minute. That's why I'm a Christian. Because I can look at myself and I can look back and see where I've come from and see that I'm persevering and I'm producing fruit. I'm 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 becoming more Christ like. I I listened to a wonderful, this is a complete aside right here. I brought this up last week. You remember and I, I listened to a sermon this week on this, and it was so good. What did we say our destiny was last week? Does anybody remember? What is our destiny? to be conformed to the image of His Son. Romans 8, 29. For those whom He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that Jesus Christ might be the firstborn among many brothers. That's our, that's our destiny. That's what every one of us should be turning into. More Christ-like, acting like Him, walking like Him, talking like Him, thinking like Him. And so we are to be the image of Christ. That's what Christian means, little Christ. That's what we're all supposed to be turning into. So that, so that when you see somebody, so that he'll, we're the image of him. So when somebody sees us, they see what Jesus looks like. When somebody sees how we act, they see that's how Jesus would act. When somebody sees us talk, that's how Jesus would talk. And they're drawn to him through that. We said that last week, so that's how we examine ourselves. Am I becoming more like that? Every day, am I changing, am my character becoming more Christ-like? That's how we examine ourselves. So that's the first one. You gotta, we got to look at ourselves. Am I a son of the kingdom or am I a son of the evil one? Am I a wheat or am I a weed? If you are a weed, if you're a son of the evil one, then you need to understand the times that we are in. This is a time of patience, and it's a time of grace. But judgment is inevitable. It's inevitable. The other morning, Kathy and I were uh, babysitting Friday for our granddaughter, and I laid down with her to take a nap, and she was sleeping. And, of course, Kathy says, we go in there to lay down, and I zonk out first, and she's in there running, crawling all over the place. But anyway, she finally went to sleep. Well, I woke up, and I looked at her, and this thought came to me, how did this happen? I mean, just yesterday I was in high school, right? I mean, just yesterday I was getting married. Just yesterday we were talking about having kids. Just, and my granddaughter is staring me from a foot away, right? How did this happen? Let me tell you, one day every one of us will be about to take our last breath. And we'll think that, how did this happen? How did it get here so quick? It is inevitable. It is coming. Judgment is inevitable, it's eternal, and it is painful if you are not wheat, if you are not a son of the kingdom. So if you're a weed here today, if you're not true wheat, but false wheat, you need to hear the words of this parable and you need to hear them very clearly. You have a time, this is a time of patience, this is a time of grace. You have a time where you can begin to say, I won't, I'm darn ill, but I want to turn into wheat. You have an opportunity, but that opportunity will not last forever. But if you are wheat, if you are here today and you're a child of the king, then you are to coexist in this world with unbelievers. But while you are here, guys, listen to me, you are called to influence the world for good, not to be influenced by it. Okay. We are all been placed in this world. I don't know where each one of y'all live. But y'all got neighbors that don't know Jesus. You got co-workers that don't know Jesus. You got family members that don't know Jesus. And you have been placed. Some people, some of our neighbors will not hear about Jesus unless you tell them. Some of our neighbors, you've been placed where you are right now. You have been planted there by the Son of Man in this world to influence the darnel around you. That's we are living but some of us are Peters and we're living by Judas's. We can take that Judas and turn him into a Peter. We that's our job. That's what we're here for. See, God has strategically placed you where you are, near the darnel. Near the darnel. That's why I don't think... I hear people talk about you know, going off to a monastery or pulling out. No, that's not, that's not how God's planted. I sent them into the world, Jesus said, for a reason. See, you are to be used by God to reach that darnel near you and try to influence it to become wheat. So you have an opportunity, use it. Let me say that again. You've got an opportunity. I, I dare say that every one of us in this room, there's somebody on your mind, right now, that you know God has, has just... It, it's been on there for months. That you know you need to talk to that person. And you just can't get up the guts to do it. You just can't find the opportunity to do it. You just for whatever reason, you just don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. You have been placed near that darn for a reason. Do it. Step out in faith. If God... Listen, trust God. If He's put that person on your heart, He's done it for a reason. He's doing some work over there, right? Y'all, I I tell this story. I'll tell it really quick. Years ago happened to me. I gave a guy a ride. I'll make it real short because I know many of y'all have heard this before. I gave a guy a ride. He was tatted up. He didn't have a license because he had DUI. He was on parole for beating his wife. And I get him in the car and I'm driving down the road and the Lord says, tell him about me. And I said, there ain't no way I'm doing that. And we're driving, and tell him about me. That God, I, that, that guy don't care about. It. He has no interest. Look at him, look at him. And I'm driving, tell him about me. And the feeling was almost like a pressure. It was so strong, and I'm like, ain't no way I'm doing that. Ain't no way I'm doing that. Finally, this feeling was so strong, I was like, you go to church anywhere? <laughs> you know, we just blurt stuff out. We're so bad at it, right? We go to church anywhere, uh, and and. And so he said, no, and I said, well, I do. And I just started talking, and I finally, you know, I'm just staring at the road, right? I'm not even, I'm scared to look at him. Because I can just see his eyes are rolling in his head, he's thinking, what an idiot, you know, this guy is and all this. Anyway, I finally run out of words, couldn't say any more, and we're riding down the road, and I look over at him, and tears are streaming down his face. And he said something to me I never forgot. He said, you don't know how long I've waited for somebody to talk to me about God. And I felt about that high. I felt, what is wrong with me? What's wrong with us? We've been placed here for a reason. We've been put in in, in proximity to our neighbors and our family and our coworkers to, to, to influence them for Jesus Christ, to tell them the gospel, and most of us aren't doing anything. So use it as an opportunity. Understand what Jesus is saying. There, there is a time that we have here to to not just cut... Aren't you thankful that he didn't cut off unbelievers before you had a chance to become wheat? Aren't you thankful? See, that could be you. Your neighbor could be you. Give him an opportunity. Talk to him. Tell him about Jesus. Give him a chance to become... You were that. Give him a chance to become what you are. That is our job. Listen, not to condemn the world, not to judge the world. That's all God's business. Our job is to love them. Listen, condemn the sin, yes. If somebody comes to me and says, do you think what I'm doing is wrong? I will look at that Bible and say, yes, what you're doing is wrong, but God loves you anyway. God wants to change you. God wants to make you into wheat. God wants to make you into the real thing. Condemn the sin, yes but love the sinner. Next week, we'll be looking at the parable of the mustard seed. Um, That is found in Matthew 13, Mark 4, and Luke 13. So if you want to read ahead uh, the parable of the mustard seed, you can feel free to, to do that. Let's pray.